Well, good morning, Restoration Church. Pastor Kevin here. Thank you so much for tuning in to this online service. I am so excited to be able to worship with you this morning. Hey, as we do these online services, we want to be able to connect with God and be able to study scripture and get to know God deeper, but we also want to engage with one another. So I want to encourage you as you're watching this, uh, whether you're watching this live or whether you're going to watch this after the fact, engage in the comments and let us kind of interact with one another. And so in fact, here's a way for you to interact today. Why don't you tell me in the comments, how do you like your steak? Do you like your steak still still mooing? Uh, completely rare? Do you like it medium? Do you like it completely well done? Uh, how do you take your meat? As you're typing that, I want to just jump in. We got a lot to cover today. You know, I was thinking when I was growing up, I played Little League Baseball. I played for the Reds for a couple years. And I remember when I played for the Reds, my brother was out of the country in Australia for a couple years. And he was going to come home and come to one of my baseball games. And I was so excited that he was going to come and watch me play. He hadn't seen me play in a couple years. And so I remember talking to the kids on my baseball team. I'm like, yo, guys, my brother Stacy, he's awesome. He's going to come and watch my baseball game. There's one of the kids on the team. His name was Mickey. I'm not sure if that was his real name, but his name was Mickey. And Mickey said, hey, hey, Stacy, isn't that a girl's name? And for maybe the only time in my entire life, I was speechless. I was embarrassed. My face turned red. And I didn't say anything else because I didn't know what to say. It wasn't until, I don't know, maybe it was a couple years later, I thought, you know what I should have said to him? Mickey, well, isn't that a mouse's name? How many of you, how many of you ever missed an opportunity? You had a, a great comeback that came to you just a little bit too late, whether that be an hour too late or for me a couple years late, you missed the opportunity with a great comeback. You know, there are some missed opportunities like that that are small and trivial. There are some other opportunities that come on a greater scale. There's a guy by the name of Ron Wayne, who was one of the three co-founders of the computer conglomerate Apple. Uh, the big computer company, Apple, along with uh, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. In fact, as they were getting ready to build their first machine, 12 days after they built their first machine, Ron was anxious because of the debt that the company had to take on to build that machine. Ron was 15 to 20 years older than the other two founders. He had a lot more to lose because of that debt in case the company couldn't pay it back. And so Ron Wayne sold his share back to Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak for a whopping $2,100, when that company would soon be worth millions and billions of dollars. Now, he claimed to never have regretted his decision, but I imagine his wife, at least once or twice, brought that up in the course of their dialogues, right? See, none of us, none of us want to miss opportunities that God give us. But I want us to, to understand, do you recognize the incredible opportunity that God has given the church to impact our world right now in this day and age? I mean, our world, our, our world is in a season of chaos. Our country is divided due to the election, divided due to the pandemic. Now, I'll be honest, as a leader, man, it's been some challenging times. As a Christian, it's been some challenging times. But as, as hard as this time is, I do not want us to miss the opportunity that God has given us because the world is, is searching for something to grasp onto, to grasp onto for a sense of, of peace, a sense of, of hope. And so our world is grasping for a, a vaccine. They're grasping for an election. They're grasping onto social justice in addition to grasping onto things they've always grasped, grasped before, like money and power and relationships. 
And the world is grasping, looking for a sense of peace, looking for some hope. Listen, as Christians, we understand that we've got the truth. We've got peace and and hope, and it's not found in a circumstance. It's not found in an election. It's not found in a vaccine. We know that peace and hope is found in a person. It is found in the knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. It's found in the love of God displayed through Jesus. In experiencing a relationship, that is where hope and peace are found. This summer, we've been studying the book of John, chapters 13 through 17, what's called the Upper Room Discourse. In the last couple of weeks, we've been in chapter 17, the final chapter of this discourse, as Jesus is ending this teaching in a time of prayer. The first uh, couple of verses, Jesus prays for himself. He prays and says, God, God, I want to glorify you through the cross. And God, would you glorify me and return me to uh, that place of glory with you in heaven? Last week, we saw how Jesus prayed for his 11 disciples. Judas Iscariot is gone. He prays for the 11 disciples, not that God would remove them from the world, but that God would keep them from the evil one. Because their ministry to carry the message of God was so important that God needed them to stay in the world to proclaim the good news of who he is. And today we're coming to the end of John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26, where, where Jesus actually prays for us. He gives us a, a simple example of how we can impact our world and our community. He's going to say if, if, that we can make the greatest impact if we as Christians, if we as Christians would be one with one another, if we would have unity, unity amongst ourselves, we can make the greatest impact on our community and throughout the world. So we're going to jump right in. And I love how Jesus starts in verse 20. Jesus says, I ask for these, I don't ask for these only, which are the disciples, but I also pray for those who believe in me through their word. See, I love this because do you realize that on the night that Jesus is betrayed, right? On the, the, the hours before Jesus is going to go and give his life on the cross, here Jesus is and he's praying for you and I. He's praying for us. For all of us who are going to believe in Jesus after the disciples through their ministry, which is everyone who believed in Christ after the disciples' lifetime. And it's amazing. It's amazing that he's praying for us, but it's not just amazing because he's praying for us. It's amazing because of what he is praying and what he's asking God. See, as a student of the Word, I want us all to be students of the Word of God. And so when you are reading Scripture and you see something that is repeated, it is done for emphasis. It is something that is important. It's a key we need to understand. And Jesus is going to repeat himself a couple times in the next couple verses. Here's what he says in verse 21. He says, I pray that they may all be one. Drop down, verse 22. I pray that they may be one. Verse 24. I pray that they may be perfectly one. You see, Jesus, he's praying something important for us. He's praying that we as Christians, that we would have unity that we would be one as, as us, as believers, as the church. We, he wants us to be one. And the question is, well, well, why is this so important to Jesus? Why is he repeating this? Why is this so significant? And again, if we follow the flow of the text, Jesus gives us the answer. He gives us something called a Hena Clause, which is basically a, a propositional truth. And the way that works is Jesus is saying, listen, if this happens, if X happens, and it's not guaranteed it's going to happen. But if this happens, then the consequence, the result, is why it's going to happen. Why is the result? So just as an example, 
We say that if the Seahawks stay healthy this season, and that's not guaranteed, but if that is true, if the Seahawks stay healthy, then of course they're going to demolish the Cowboys and the Packers and the 49ers, and of course they're going to face the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, right? That's the way a propositional truth works, right? And so here's here's Jesus' proposition. Here's what he says. He says that they may be all one, just as you Father are in me and I am you, that they may be in us. Okay, if this happens, if they are one, it's not guaranteed. But if it does, he prays. Here's the second part. He says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's the result. Jesus says, if we as Christians, if we would be one, then the world would believe that Jesus is from God. The world will believe that Jesus is God. And he repeats this propositional truth. He says in verse 22, God, the glory you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfectly one. Again, there's no guarantee that this is going to happen. There's no guarantee that we as Christians are going to be one. But if it does, he says, so that the world may know that you have sent me and you loved them even as you have loved me. See, this is proposition. If we would be one, the consequence is the world would know that Jesus is the Son of God and they would know the love that God has for them. Now you see this, this term, these terms of oneness and unity, and you see them a couple of times here. And these words are similar, but they have some different meanings. Uh, oneness, oneness happens when we accept the gospel. We become one when we accept the gospel because the gospel, it levels the playing field. All of us, we come to God in the same way. We come to God completely dependent on him. He is our hope. He is our peace. And so a oneness due to the gospel means that we have more in common with other believers than we do people that are uh, anyone else. We have more in common with believers than we do unbelievers. So there may be a, a, a person in a third world country uh, that we've never met that's a believer in Christ, and we have more in common with that person than our neighbor who lives across the street who happens to root for the best football team alongside us, the Seahawks. Because of that relationship with God, we have more in common with that person than a non-believer. And unity, unity is how we live out that oneness with one another. Unity is how we, we live that out, and that is so significant. Listen, Jesus has already taught us how to do this. He already said in this upper room discourse that we are to love one another which means we consider others more significant than ourselves, which means we tend to do more listening and less talking. That, that, is, that is how we live in this unity with one another, where we love one another, and it shows in practical ways. In fact, here we are as Christians. And ever since that day that Jesus rose from the grave, and then he returned up to heaven, and he's preparing a place for us, as Christians, we have tried to figure out, man, what are the methods what are the strategies? How can we tell the world about Jesus? How can we convince the world about God? How can we make an impact in our communities and the world around us? We've got all sorts of methods and strategies we've tried. Maybe it's through standing on a street corner and, and preaching. Maybe it's through having a seeker-friendly church. Maybe it's through us voting for Christians and trying to put Christians in positions of authority. Maybe it's through our acts of service. What is the best way for us to, to proclaim the truths about God? Listen, all those things are good and helpful, but we have to remember this simple and powerful proposition that Jesus just gave us. 
that if we as Christians, if we would be one, if we would be unified, then the world would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is Emmanuel, God with us. And not only would they believe that, but they would know the love that God has for them. See, this is the greatest impact that we can make on the world. This is the greatest way for us to, to make a difference in our community. It's not through some great acts of service and, and, and all these other things. It's through us learning how to love one another and be one with one another. Now, one of the questions I want to ask is, okay, if we're supposed to be, have this unity and this oneness, uh, what type of unity is God asking for? Is he asking for like an organizational unity? You know, kind of like, are we supposed to be like the Catholic church? We're all just one big church? I don't think that's the unity that Jesus is talking about here. Maybe, maybe it's supposed to be a conformity where we all look the same and we talk the same and we dress the same and we believe the same and we act the same. Again, I don't think that's what God is talking about, what Jesus is talking about when he prays for us to be one. See, one of the things I love the body of Christ, and specifically I love the body of Christ here at Restoration because I love our diversity. I love the fact that at Restoration Church, you have people from all sorts of different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different economic statuses, different personality, even different per, uh, pol political opinions. And it's beautiful how God brings all these different people together. Unified under the gospel, one under the gospel of Jesus Christ, where all of us come and say, He is our hope, He is our peace. And it is beautiful when God brings all this diversity together into one. So then, what is the unity that Jesus is asking for us to display with one another? Look what He says, verse 21. He says, That they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may also be in us. He says the same thing, verse 22, that they may be one even as we are one, and I in them and you in me. See, the unity that God wants us as Christians to display is the same unity that was existent within the Godhead, within the triune God. In fact, the Apostle Paul describes this unity in this way. Philippians 2, he says, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. See, this spiritual unity that, that Jesus is asking of us is that we would be one in mind, one in love, one in motivation. That as we follow after Jesus, as we follow after God, that we would surrender our wills to God, surrender our hearts to God, and move God to being first and foremost in our lives. Which means our basic orientation and our desires are surrendered and given over to God, where God is our primary focus. His will is above our will. His glory is above our own glory. His kingdom is above our own kingdom. This is where we have to, as, as, as a group of believers, we recognize, we recognize that He is our ultimate hope. He is our ultimate peace. Listen, this proposition almost seems so simple. All right, if we would just be one, then these great things would happen in the world. we make this great impact. So the question I want to ask is, how are we doing at this? Both the local church and the big C church. Are we excelling at these things? Are we making an impact into the world like we're supposed to? Are we seeing this mutual submission to God and this mutual care and concern towards one another? See, I think the reality is we are still sinful people. We are selfish by nature. We are prideful. 
And we have this tendency where instead of serving and loving and sacrifice for one another, we have this tendency to judge one another. Well, I'm better than that person. I'm smarter than that person. I see things right. Others need to see things the way that I see them. And so amongst Christians, we have all these fights amongst ourselves, fights over all sorts of things, the types of music we're going to sing, buildings and finances, and what movies we're supposed to watch, and all these different things. And so here's the world around us. They're looking for answers. They're looking for hope. And they look at the church, and what do they see from us? What do they see from the Christians? Disunity, disagreements, bickering. So we may have the answers. We may have the key to hope and to peace, but our message is rejected because the world sees the disunity and dysfunction amongst us as, amongst us as Christians. See, Jesus, he gave us such a simple plan for us to make a dramatic impact on the world around us. And it's not us trying to convince one another of our convictions and trying to get everybody to believe just the way that we believed. Now, we make the greatest impact when we show the unity that we have with one another through the gospel. That is where our impact is made in the world and in our community. The fact that we believe that the true hope and peace, it lies not in our circumstances. It lies in in, in Jesus. That we come to God empty-handed. We come to Him completely dependent, solely on God and God alone for our hope and for our peace. And then as we come to God completely completely dependent on Him, we submit to one another. We choose to love one another, to sacrifice one another, to sacrifice for one another. Sorry. Choosing to have one mind and one spirit and one motivation, just like God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. It almost just seems too simple. But listen, Jesus has given us this proposition that said if we would be one, if we would have unity, then we'd make the greatest impact in our community and in our world. This is where I want us to recognize the opportunity that we have right now. Our world is hurting. Our world is fearful. And I see our world grasping for something to give them peace, to give them hope. They're grasping for an election, thinking, man, there's hope if the right politician is there to solve the issues in our country. The world is grasping and turning to a vaccine, hoping that the vaccine will solve the fear and that if they can get rid of this disease, then it would bring peace to our world. The world is grasping and turning to social justice, thinking that a movement will solve the race issues that humanity has dealt with for thousands of years and finally bring us peace. This is what the world is looking for, looking for hope, looking for peace. And here we are as the church, here we are as Christians, with a prime opportunity to make a huge impact, to point people to the truth, to point people to the hope and the peace that is found in God. But if we're being honest, what is the world hearing from us as Christians and from the church? What are they hearing from us? See, I think a lot of us are just as embroiled in the arguments of our world and in our culture. We have Christians arguing and saying, you know what, Biden is evil, vote for Trump. Others saying, well, 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 no, Trump is evil, vote for Biden. And others saying, both of those guys are evil, you need to vote for the third party. 
But here's the thing. When I read my Bible and Jesus teaches us to pray and say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, I don't see any politician ushering in the kingdom of God. The only, one gonna, the only way we're going to see the kingdom of God on this earth is if we surrender to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Then we point to him as being our answer. When I think about uh, how our, our world is overcome with fear uh, related to this pandemic, here we are arguing about whether this pandemic is real or whether it's just a, a political tool. And we're not helping anybody's fear in their hearts. See, I see the Bible saying that I have come so that you can have life, you can have abundant life. And so uh, uh, the fear and the anxiety related to COVID or any other sickness in this world is not found in a cure. It's found in knowing God and having a relationship with God. I mean, you look at the social justice issues our country is grasping onto. Listen, man-centered views on social justice will only create more injustice. There's no hashtag or movement that's going to fix the real issue we're dealing with. And that's that we have sin in our hearts. This is why we should be pointing people to the God who says in Ezekiel 36 that I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. See, that is when we will see justice. When hearts are changed. When hearts are made new. When we deal with the sin in our hearts. Listen, I'm not saying don't have a conviction. Don't vote. Be, don't be involved in the world. We should be. But as Christians, we should be convinced that true hope and peace is found in believing in Jesus, that he is the son of God, and knowing the love that God has for us, that the peace and the hope that the world longs for is not going to be settled until people come into a life-changing relationship with him. We've got the message. So let's stop arguing over these things and point people to the truth. So I, I, I come with just this question in the end. The question for you is what is your part in this? What is your part in, in the church, in the local church, in the Big C Church? What is your part in pursuing unity? What will you do to pursue unity? Obviously, you and I alone, we're not gonna be able to change the whole church. But know what you can do? You can begin in your own life to be the answer that Jesus prayed for. You can become a small focus of change within your own life. I wrote down three ways, three ways to help us individually accomplish that unity in our church and in the world. Number one, would we be completely aware that us as Christians, that we belong to God, that we belong to the family of God. We've been adopted as his sons and daughters, so we belong to him. And just as much as we belong to him, we belong to one another as Christians, that we are a part of the family of God, which means that we surrender to that family, despite how annoying that brother and sister might be, that we choose to love, we choose to sacrifice in practical ways in order to honor and follow God our Father. Number one, would we be completely aware that we belong to one another? Number two, would you connect with a small group of believers? Because unity does not happen in isolation. 
So would you commit to a, a group, a, a group of people, and, and do these things like submit towards one another, love one another, listen to one another, forgive one another, pursue unity together? And you know how we do that? And we accomplish pursuing unity together when we spend more time listening and less time talking and try and convince others of the way that we see things. Number one, number one, would you be completely aware that you belong to one another? Number two, would you commit to a small group of believers? Number three, would you prioritize working within that group to serve others and to show the love of God to those around you? Would you commit to remember this propositional truth that Jesus just gave us, that if we want to impact our neighborhoods, we want to make a difference in the community that God has planted us, the community that I love, the Yakima Valley. If we want to make an impact in the world, it's not through our logic. It's not through us convincing people of our positions. It's us showing unity in God through our relationships. It's us genuinely loving one another and showing how, how the love of God brings together this, this peace and this hope. The people would hear about and, and know that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. And they would know the love that God has for them because of how we love one another. It almost seems too simple. But if we would do that, if we would pursue that unity with one another, but I think we would be overwhelmed with the power of God as he works in us and through us to draw people to himself. That people in the world, lives would be changed because they're no longer, no, no longer trying to grab onto false hope, but they will come to know eternal hope and eternal peace. In fact, one of the most remarkable and significant things about every major, major revival in history, whether it was a large or small revival, is that these revivals invariably begin with believers breaking down the barriers between themselves. Happens as Christians choose to pursue unity. Christians choose to resolve long-standing feuds. They choose to, to love one another based on their relationship with God and not whether or not they agree with them. Where apologies are made when apologies are due. Where confessions, confessions are uttered. Where, where grace and love are extended towards one another. In fact, I know many people, story after story, that would say, you know, I hated the things of God. I hated the things of God. I hated the church until I began to see how Christians loved one another, how they served one another, how they sacrificed for one another. And seeing that softened my heart to the gospel. Listen, that's what I'm asking for. That's what I'm asking for for us as Restoration Church. Would we make unity our priority? Would we be willing to surrender some things? Would we be, would be willing to surrender some thoughts, to surrender some opinions, to surrender some Facebook posts and Facebook comments so that we can be one in mind and one in spirit and one in motivation? Would we be willing to say, listen, the world, what you need is not another politician. What you need is not a vaccine. What you need is knowledge of the one true God, his hope and his peace. Because if we can live this out together as believers in Christ and pursue this unity and this oneness, listen, I believe God will do something tremendous in us and through us. Listen, that's what the world needs from us now. 
The world needs us to hear this truth today and pursue it. God, I just want to pray right now and ask that you help us to, to understand this truth here. God, it's such a simple truth, but it's difficult to live out. God, it's difficult because we're all bent towards ourselves. We all have these opinions and these convictions, but God, I pray that you help us to come back to that truth of the gospel. That God, you are our only source of hope and peace. God, you are, are the ultimate source of hope and peace. And God, as the world is, is, is grasping for things that would bring them hope and peace, God, I pray that as Christians that we would be so convinced of our message, that that hope and peace is found in you, that God, that would be what unifies us. That we would say, this is what, this is what brought us all together in the gospel. This is what, what, what brought us to you. The fact that, God, you bring hope and you bring peace. And so, God, I pray that we'd be unified under that message, that we'd be one in mind, one in spirit, one in motivation. God, we would constantly point to you as being the answer. So, Lord, I pray that you would convince each of us of that message. God, I pray that you'd soften our hearts towards one another. God, that we wouldn't be so concerned with whether or not another believer sees things exactly the way that I do. But God, that we would choose to love one another regardless. We would choose to honor one another. We choose to serve one another. We choose to sacrifice for one another. We choose to, to make our banner, not our conviction, not our politics, but we'd make our banner, our God, the source of hope and peace. God, I pray as a church, I pray as Christians that we would take advantage of the opportunity you've given us. That as the world is looking for answers, that we would provide that answer. Lord, that through our unity, through our oneness, through our desire to, to love and to live and serve one another, that God, people would come to know that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh, Emmanuel. And they would come to know the love that you have for them, that you've displayed through the cross, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm excited for what you can do through us. And Lord, I pray that you would do something mighty, that you would make a great impact in our city, in our neighborhood, in our, in our world around us. The lives would be transformed because they have a knowledge of your peace, of your hope of your truth. God, I love you and I praise you. I thank you so much for the privilege of Restoration Church. And pray, Lord, that you would heal the divisions we have, that you'd give us a sense of unity, of oneness, oneness in spirit and mind and purpose. God, I love you and I praise you and I ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.